Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You get like I, a hiccup I, or a burp and you try to swallow it. That's what we were doing there. This is the press box. <laughs> some guy some guy heard that yesterday. It took him two two minutes to tweet. He thought it was a soda can. I said, come on, it's eight in the morning. With Grainy and Bischoff. Jared, you say that like the quality of these shows have been good since we've been doing it for home anyway. On, Jared. Come on. on ESPN Las Vegas. We don't look for good. We look to get through it. Three hours each day, 7 to 10. And Grady, Tyler Bischoff, Jared Justice running the show. It's a Monday. A lot of hoops to talk about. Even some soccer at the bottom of the hour. Let's go. The first bite. Who is going to the final four? Illinois. Oh, my goodness. We're Monday and we're making predictions. Haven't had time to break down the bracket. Are we supposed to say our final four set yet? You Come don't on. need to break down the bracket. Just pick the we best. We need to see our final Ed. four already. Get it together. Get All it chalk. together, Ed. I'll chalk. Is that what you're going with, Jerry? Yes. Right. Got a lot of money riding on it. <laughs> really? Wow. Well, I heard experts all week go with the field. I'm going the opposite. <laughs> Tyler, what wow. do you got? So if you look at this bracket over here actually all right actually before we get to any sort of final four can i yell about the net rankings first uh yes that appears to be second on the uh, rundown but we'll go with it first <laughs> why did the ncaa connect, create the net rankings why does it exist it's a question colgate is asking today <laughs> <laughs> because the ncaa went out of its way to create a ranking system because people kept telling them how bad the rpi was so the NCA said, okay, we'll get rid of the RPI and we'll we'll replace it. We'll come up with these net rankings. And now they have these net rankings, and the whole purpose of any sort of ranking system in college sports, whether it's basketball or football, is to compare teams that don't play each other. Because in college basketball and college football, teams don't play similar schedules, unlike our professional sports, because there's so many damn teams. And especially this season, where we didn't have much non-conference play. So the net rankings, the whole point of them is to compare teams that don't really play each other or play the same schedules. And for some reason, the NCAA decided that they were going to ignore the net rankings whenever they didn't seem, feel it was convenient. And the two biggest examples this year are Colgate and Loyola Chicago, because Colgate this season went 14-1. and one. They were ranked ninth, nine, as in top 10, ninth in net. They got a 14 seat. Now, they didn't have a single quality win on their schedule, right? They didn't really beat, they were 14-1, and one, but they didn't really beat anybody that was any good. Um, but... How bad is your ranking system if you're just going to ignore a top 10 team and give them a 14 seed after they went 14 and 1 on the season? And then Loyola Chicago, who's 10th in net, also a top 10 seed, they went 24 and 4 this season. They had close losses, all of them by 6 points or less to Wisconsin, Richmond, Indiana State, and Drake, and all those losses were away from home. Net had them as the 10th best team in the country. 
you can look, like Ken Palm. You can look at like any metric that use that college basketball people use. Loyola Chicago is a top ten team. They got an eight seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So uh, again, what's the point of the net rankings if the yeah. NCAA is going to look at them? Sometimes and ignore them when it's not yeah. convenient. And Loyola Chicago is a top ten team because here's the thing: if because you take Colgate as an example, I think Colgate's an example of hey, maybe your net rankings aren't very good if a team goes fourteen and one, never beats a single top one hundred team, and they're top ten in net. But Loyola Chicago, they didn't play a great schedule, but they played an okay schedule. They went twenty four and four, and you gave them an eight seed despite being top ten and literally. Every metric you can find yeah. in college basketball. I just don't understand what's the point of the net rankings. Why did they create them just to then ignore them later on? Yeah, I I don't know the full answer. I do know it's interesting. Um, you know, some years back, I was able to take care or take part in the mock draft. We went in, and you kind of had to go in with the open ideas. Like, okay, they're going to be completely honest with how this works. I mean, you had to go in with that idea and hope that that was true. So we sat in the room for two days and went through a mock draft and you know of the teams and they said this is how we do this and this you know first thing you do is you go in and you just put in the number of teams you believe should make the NCAA tournament at large the automatic doesn't matter this team's an NCAA tournament team that's how it all starts out and at that point they're all in and you have to get all but two votes in the room and they're in the tournament and usually it ends up being about 25 or 26 teams and then you start the process moving forward the interesting thing I thought and that whole process was when they scrub the seeds. So the so you know you have your tournament, you have your teams, and you start scrubbing. And that means you go through each line in the seed, and you start comparing metrics. And at that point, there was no net rankings; they were relying on the RPI. So you could have a seven, and you could scrub down its entire resume, and all of a sudden, it's a nine, and comparative to others. Um, so I don't understand, or I don't know. Like you said, when they started scrubbing these seeds, did they just take the net completely out of it? Because if they did, I don't know how. I'm more, okay, I don't agree with it, but I kind of understand what happened in the room probably with Colgate more than Loyola Chicago. Because you watched Colgate last night and everyone's on the internet. The first thing everyone says is, well, they didn't play anybody. That's like the first thing, that was the first remark. Fair, unfair, it doesn't matter. That was the perception of everyone of why Colgate was a 14. I don't understand Loyola Chicago more, though. That's the one I don't understand when they started scrubbing that and they're top 10 in every metric and they somehow came with, uh, put them on an eight line like that. I'd love to know how they got to that. Um, I'm not saying Colgate was fair in a 14 seed, but I can see in my mind where everyone's like, well, who did they play? But you're right about Loyola Chicago. If you're top 10 in every metric and you get an eight seed, I don't know how much the metrics matter at that point. Um, but then you can see other teams that are higher in the metrics that actually probably look like they got helped out. And a lot of times, and most of those times, they're power fives. So my favorite part about the net rankings, though, is you can you can literally go down this year. The number one, two, three, and four teams in the net rankings are all four one seeds this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The five, six, seven, and eight teams are all the two seeds this right. year. Like they followed the net rankings to a T. One yeah. through eight. And then you get to nine and Colgate and ten Loyola Chicago. And they say, nope, net rankings don't matter anymore. These are not yeah. two of the top ten teams. Yeah. Give them seeds that are in the eight-nine game and in the, in the 14, 14 seed. Like, to me, I don't know. I just, I don't understand how the NCAA can come up with its own ranking system and then ignore its own ranking system right. to that well, degree. That's the part that I just, I, I don't get 
how you can do that. And and here's the other part of the, the net rankings that is a little annoying to me is when we talk about like quad one wins. Right. The whole point of the net ranking is to compare teams that play different schedules. And so, yes, Loyola Chicago only played four quad one te- games this year. They went two and two in those games, by the way. Whereas comparatively, you know, Illinois played 17 games against the quad one. Sure. It's the whole point of quads or the whole point of the net rankings is to compare teams. And if you're taking a team that's 10th in net rankings and you're throwing them out because, oh, they didn't play enough quad one games, then your ranking system, you've you've rendered it pointless because your ranking system is what determines what is and what is not a quad one game. So it's just it's it's the I cannot comprehend what any logic they could possibly give out as to why Loyola Chicago is sitting in an eight nine game. And the team that gets screwed is Illinois. It's, not, it's ultimately, it's not Loyola Chicago. Because, okay, if you want to make Loyola Chicago, okay, they're not a three seed, you want to make them a five or a six seed, that, that's fine. I understand what's happening there. But the team that gets screwed is Illinois. Because Illinois is a one seed, and more than likely, they're looking at their second round matchup being against a team that every ranking system on the planet has as another top 10 team. In the round of 32, Illinois is likely playing another top 10 team. Illinois is the team that got screwed. It's like a few years ago when they gave Wichita State a one seed, but they put Kentucky in the 8-9 game. And, like, Wichita State's looking around saying, oh, we got to play a top-10 team by every metric in the second round. Like, that's the problem with it is it's not because of Loyola Chicago. It's because Illinois, a one seed, they screwed one of their one seeds by making Loyola Chicago an 8-9 uh, game. Well, and I'll tell you this um... – and I, 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 maybe you know this off the top of your head. I don't know. I don't think they did, but I, my guess is Loyola Chicago did not get Illinois in a, um, in a uh, non-conference game. I'll, I'll correct myself if that's wrong. But you've also put a team in that eight-nine line. Let's be honest. It's almost like when Wichita couldn't get a game with Kansas, and they wanted desperately to play Kansas. And Kansas's idea is that back in the day is like we're not going to play you because you can beat us, and if you know we're supposed to beat you. Now, all of a sudden, if you don't think Loyola Chicago, if they get Illinois in the second round, doesn't have an extra source of motivation of kids who play in that city and want to beat that team, uh, that even hurts Illinois more. They might win the game because they're more talented, but they've they've given Illinois a really hard second round game, not only because I think Loyola Chicago is good, might be better than their Final Four team, but you're going to have kids in the Loyola Chicago team really motivated to play Illinois from within that same state. So you're right. That's a really hard second-round game, assuming Loyola Chicago gets past the 8-9 game. But there's a lot of stuff that would go into that matchup that have nothing to do with talent with kids who probably either grew up or that's the one game they want to play because it's like, you know, the bigger team in the state. And, you know, there's that sense of what Wichita State had against Kansas. So you're right. I mean, I think people would most likely advance Illinois in the bracket, but I don't know if that's a gimme in the second round. I think it might be closer than people think. No, yeah, and it, it probably will be, and that's the the problem here. I wonder if there's a uh, Loyola Chicago Illinois they can't play each other type of type of situation. I wonder. I don't. I, don't, I, think, I like to think I don't know that. I'm just saying there would be kids in Loyola Chicago who really want that game. Yeah, I, I hope there is though. Like I hope that's happened mm-hmm. where Loyola has tried to schedule Illinois or something, yeah. and the, and Illinois says no, we're not we're not playing yeah. that game. We're not playing you, sure. and now they're in the they'll be playing in the second round this year. Yeah. That would be fun. I would enjoy that. Which is that I think that's the one thing that you look at. Uh, you know, the NCAA tournament committee. You do have to enjoy some of the matchups they put together on a year-to-year basis to give you matchups that well, would be like that, like second-round yeah. potential matchups where it's Loyola, Chicago, Illinois potentially meeting in the second round. Because at the end of the day, that's 
that's fun. Like it's not it's not necessarily fair, but if you get Loyola Chicago and Illinois in the second round, that's probably the number one second round game to watch. I don't know what would be a better second round game to watch than that, but that's probably going to be the best second round game to watch. Yeah. And again, it, doing that mock draft, and I think everyone entered the uh, mock draft and left to um, you know not believing where they said now during the mock draft they didn't do it, but that again we didn't know how close to the situation was. Everyone went in saying, look, you might not do it on purpose, but when you're scrubbing the seeds, you know, for TV, you can't say that people in that room don't understand matchups and what they mean, and that's how it works out. Um, you know, the cliche used to be, okay, you have two really good non-power fives. Look who's playing each other in the first round, the two non-power fives. So I'm certainly not going to say that doesn't happen in the room where, you know, there's discussion or even in their own mind, say, you know, thinking, boy, that'd be a really good thing. Do. I, I, it's, you know, they're all humans in the room. It's human nature to say, you know, what would be the best matchups? Are there other, are there other storylines of this? So I'm with you on that. I, I think that happens to a certain degree. I don't know if they say it out loud. I don't know. Not in the room when it happens for real, but yeah, it certainly seems to work out. I was like, boy, that's a pretty interesting matchup. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. It has to happen because the, the committee intentionally doesn't put teams from the same conference against each other in the yeah, first yeah, round. Yeah, right, sure. And they don't yeah. really set it up so anybody from the same conference can play in the second round. Like, you've got right. to get to the Sweet 16, the Sweet 16. Yeah. for there to be conference matchups, which yeah. is them sitting down and saying, okay, which matchups are we looking ahead to and saying, okay, we don't want to see, you know, the SEC championship game in the second round or something right, like that. Right. So, like, that's that's what the committee does already. So, of course, there's some conversation about what matchups would sure. be good. Of course, there's some conversation about, hey, that's a fun type of match. I mean, hell, Wichita State and Drake are playing in the first four. That's a former um, Missouri Valley game. Right. Those two teams mm-hmm. used to be yeah. in the Missouri Valley yeah. used to be the two best teams in the Missouri Valley with Northern Iowa up there. Like that's a Missouri Valley matchup that they probably could have put UCLA against Drake if they wanted to. But no, they're going to give no. us the former Missouri Valley teams. They're going to give us the two powerhouse Michigan State and UCLA. Those are the matchups for the first four. All right. Coming up next, we'll get into the Golden Knights as they swept the St. Louis Blues. But I think we should be a little bit concerned about Cody Glass. Tarasenko right point. Working down the wall, Stevenson gives him a shove, centering and a shot, they score! Sammy Blay took the pass out of the right corner, pivoted, turned toward the net, and roofs it inside the long post, and the Blues are within a goal, two to one Knights. It's the Press Box with Brady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Well, the Golden Knights swept the Blues. In St. Louis. By the way, fun fact, did you know St. Louis has lost five straight home games? That seems almost impossible for a good team to lose five straight games at home. But two of those F- are the Golden Knights. F minus fail. <laughs> so, they got swept F- by Minnesota. minus fail. <laughs> and we talked a little bit about the Golden Knights against uh, the best teams in the West and how they were basically a 500, a little bit below 500 team. Uh, do you feel better about the Golden Knights playing the better teams in the West now that they took two from St. Louis? Oh, I feel terrific, Tyler. Uh, these were two <laughs> big wins. and uh, You know the funny thing? It's getting to be weird because I, we knew this was going to happen, obviously, with the COVID and the, and the standings. I don't know if you feel this way, but I just it, it's weird because I just keep looking at the schedule saying, okay, okay, when are they going to play Toronto? When are they play? And it's just like over and over and over. And I knew this was going to happen. Obviously, this was the schedule. But you get to the point where you're like, boy, 
seeing these teams a lot now. Geez, over the Sharks in tonight. Did they just play them like four days ago? That's oh, what's great about it, Ed. Eight God, times oh, against everybody. God. Not Jeez, allowed to get told. sick of them. Um, and then guess what? Ed, the first two rounds of the playoffs are going to be against yes, two more of these yes, teams. Exactly. You're not, Why you're not? not going to get Why to see not? a different team for they got. They have to make the final four of the NHL this year to play a different team. <laughs> that's that's what has to happen. They have to make the final four of the NHL to play a different yeah. team. Um, I'll, I'll say this about the two wins over St. Louis. It was more so about the way the Golden Knights played and not so much the actual results, but the Golden Knights dominated both of those games. Like, even though they needed overtime to to win the first one and blew a couple leads there, they were dominant in Corsi, dominant expected goals. Like, they absolutely crushed St. Louis. And I've said before, I think it's fair to kind of ignore the overall record this season if we're trying. A good indicator of what they're going to do in the playoffs is more about their record against St. Louis and Colorado and Minnesota this year and not so much the overall record. Winning those two helps that record, but also the way they played against them. They were dominant. They were absolutely dominant in those two games. Now, here's my big concern, though, from the two games against St. Louis. It's Cody Glass. Because Cody Glass, in the first game against St. Louis, got demoted to the fourth line. Tomas Nosek moved up. And then in the second game, he just got outright scratched. Healthy scratch for game two against St. Louis as Tomas Nosek took the third-line center role and Patrick Brown came in to play the fourth-line center role. Now, with Tomas Nosek on that third line with Nick Waugh and Alex Tuck, their course he was 62%, their expected goals was 77%. They were the best line in the game on Saturday by Corsi and expected goals. So first off, it's an awful look for Cody Glass that Tomas Nosek steps in and the third line immediately looks better. Uh, especially because Noshik is just, he's a fourth line center. That's what he is. He's not supposed to be an upgrade over glass, but he was an upgrade over glass. And then it's probably even worse that Patrick Brown gets into the lineup while glass is healthy scratch because Patrick Brown, we're talking about a guy who's 28 years old, has played 29 games in the NHL. Like there's no upside to Patrick Brown. He is like, if he plays in the NHL, it's in the, that exact role as sort of like a fourth line center. There's no real upside to Patrick Brown being anything more than that. But for whatever reason, Pete DeBoer scratched what's supposed to be the, a center of the future on this team for Patrick Brown. And if you look at Cody Glass this year, last 12 games, he's got one goal and one assist. Cody Glass has yet to score a five-on-five goal this year. Here's the name of players that have not scored a five-on-five goal for the Golden Knights this year. Will Carrier, Ryan Reeves, Keegan Colasar, Patrick Brown, Nick Holden, and Braden McNabb. So you're talking about fourth liners, a guy that's played in one game, and two defensive-minded defensemen, and Cody Glass. Those are the guys yeah, that have but, not scored at five-on-five five this year. Yeah, but you failed to mention Keegan Colasar has come really close. He has come really close a lot he's of times. He's come really close like 16 times. <laughs> 16 times he's come really close, and eventually one of those is going to find the back of the net. And that's the problem. We're comparing Cody Glass to Keegan Colasar yes. right now. <laughs> And even if you throw in last year, if you take the last two regular seasons, the forwards that have a lower goals per minute than Cody Glass at 5-on-5 are Valentin Zikov, Keegan Kolasar, and Brandon Peary. And that's it. Like, Cody Glass is scoring at 5-on-5 worse than Cody Eakin was. Worse than Ryan Reeves and Will Carrier have the last two years. Glass is good on the power play, right? He's shown that he's a good passer on the power play. But at 5-on-5, 
he's been useless in his NHL career. Like legitimately, like he'll make one good play every like five games. Like, and he's only played 59 NHL games. So it's still early in his career, but he's got to do something. We've got to see Cody Glass do something that's not on the power play at some point, because right now, I don't know what you're excited about with Cody Glass because he has not shown anything at five on five in his career. It actually surprises me that, uh, about Peary because it seemed like all he did was score, and that was kind of the only thing he did in his game. I'm I, I'm literally not I'm literally surprised that Glass had more five on five than Brandon Peary. That that to me is surprising. Thinking back about what you know, I remember about Brandon Peary. Um, well, and we've heard this before, right? I mean. Uh, this has happened to Cody Glass, and they brought him back. They thought things were going to change, and it hasn't changed. I mean, let me ask you this: uh, as we get towards a deadline and all that, like, how long is how long is the hold on Cody Glass? I know he was their first pick overall in the history of the franchise, sixth overall. So I'm sure there's some loyalty to that, and they want him to succeed. But you know, I guess have you seen enough to where would you be surprised? Because we, we've heard in the past that who was it? I don't know if it was the Eric Carlson deal. I mean, there were other deals there where Cody Glass was mentioned prominently as a possible move in terms of uh, capital. Would you think that might be uh, what happens now? And if that is what happens, I mean, how much are other teams looking at him saying, well, we could make a difference with the kid? I'd be surprised if he gets traded because I don't know that he has a ton of value coming back. I don't know what he'd get back. That's the thing. Right. Like, if you're trading Cody Glass... In the past, it was trading Cody Glass as a piece to get a, a superstar. They can't really bring on a superstar anymore because they're right. pushed to the cap. They've got their superstars. So if sure. you're trading Cody Glass now, I, I guess there could potentially be a trade where you get a player that helps you a lot more right now and a team that's selling says, yeah, we'll take a former first-round pick. But I, I don't know what you're getting if you trade for him right now. What I think they should do or maybe even will do is try to upgrade from Cody Glass. Like, maybe you don't trade Glass, but you find a way to bring in a center that's better than Cody Glass that can play on that third line. Because, listen, the Golden Knights think every game is important and they have to win. And we know that because they keep playing Marc-Andre Fleury. Yes. Right? Back to they keep, back. They keep playing him. So we know that every single game they play, they're putting everything they can into winning it because yeah. they keep playing the Golden. So when Pete DeBoer takes Glass out of the lineup for a game, that's basically Pete DeBoer saying he doesn't give us the best chance to win this game. Right. And so I think we're already at a point where Pete DeBoer is saying, yeah, we, we need better from this position. And if they can acquire somebody at the trade deadline that helps that, they absolutely should. And and I think that's like they need well, an, they need another forward. Like this team does need another forward. Yeah. And, and haven't we said that since the year they lost? To Washington in the cup final, it's always been the third line in depth, right? I mean, yeah. you think back to that series. Washington won in large part because they were much better in the third line and, and they were much deeper. And that's kind of been like a consistent theme with the Golden Knights. As good as they've been is, okay, but how do you get like one line deeper? How do you get like a third line to produce on a consistent basis? So you're right. I mean, that's kind of been as much as anything over the years with the Golden Knights is the few years they've been around. It's been that issue compared to when you start comparing them to like the really good teams in hockey. All right, coming up next, Brett Lashbrook joins the show to get yelled about Los Angeles. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now is the owner of Las Vegas Lights FC, Brett Lashbrook. Brett, how are you this morning? I'm great. How are you guys? We are excellent. All right. 
Hey, by the way, if you listened to our show on Friday, you would have gotten a, a preview. So I hope you're prepared for this question. Um, Brett, <laughs> when you got this team and since you've had this team, you have said this team is for Las Vegas, by Las Vegas, of Las Vegas. How is that true now that you are affiliated with LAFC and not a single player on this team will actually practice in Las Vegas the entire season? So there's a couple layers to that, Tyler. So, 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 so let's dig into it. It is an absolutely fantastic opportunity because this, ter- this team, this city, deserves a winning team. And you among, I've been maybe the loudest over the last three-plus years of how we have not delivered on our promise of on-field success. <laughs> And that oh, yeah. was, hands down, the number one goal this offseason. Uh, how do we improve roster spots to 1 through 18? And we did that uh, last week. Uh, when you talk about uh, not being based in uh, Las mm-hmm. Vegas, that's for one year, Tyler. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, we didn't have a secure site. The rules with MLS and USL have different testing protocols as they have both have respective uh, player associations with different testing cadences. So for us to be able to take advantage of LAFC's resources and part of their roster and to have a true affiliation and, and, and really work arm-in-arm and shoulder-to-shoulder, the players had to be based together uh, because you can't leave the bubble. So this is a one-year deal with that, and it's a better opportunity for our players to be at their secured $50 million facility. And when we realized those players couldn't go back and forth on both ways without having a 10-day quarantine, we realized that you know they were very very gracious and said why don't why don't we base them here uh, while we get through COVID. Okay, so you mentioned the roster being better one through eighteen. Yeah, can you say that with a straight face since you don't have any control over the roster since it'll be LAFC that decides who plays for your team every single week? I, I can one hundred percent say that with a straight face, and there's a couple just factual things that I, that I can look at and point to. But number one. When you look at uh, Major League Soccer's LAFC's roster last year, just for example, they had 31 players under Major League Soccer contracts. So on any given weekend, Tyler, they can only play up, you know, up to 15 of those guys, and 18 of them can suit up. So on any given weekend, subject to injury, subject to international call-ups, et cetera, et cetera, they have 13 guys that are on MLS rosters. So just at the very core of your question, you're, you're, I am assuming that the 19th best player on LAFC is better than our 23rd best player at the USL roster last year. So I think when you look at it just that way, we are improving every single roster spot just by the knock-on effect. The other thing is we aren't taking any money out of this team. We are still investing the same amount of money into this team and this roster, and now we're having LAFC provide additional resources, additional um, funding for the soccer side. So you look at the amount of money that's being invested, you look at the type of player and the profile of that player, you look at the resources that's being given to the soccer side, I, I will tell you with 100% certainty, we have gotten better overnight, and I couldn't be more excited about it. You know, I love this topic because, as usual, I'll be the positive one when it comes to anything. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Brett Lashbrook. Hey, buddy. Uh, so I guess a couple of things for me. So uh, listening to you, it doesn't sound like – you believe this is a long-term thing that you didn't have to do this to keep uh, the light solvent in this town. This is something that you believe no, is maybe a one-off and you didn't have to do this. And two, I want to ask you, your fan base in Vegas, do you think this changes anything with them? I know how good you know you guys can be on game night, but not being here like Tyler said, not kind of having that local feel, do you think that hurts you? So uh, the, the first thing I would say is, 
it's a one-year deal with LAFC, but they've been wonderful to work with. So I, I, I certainly hope in some way, shape, or form it's, it's a long-term agreement. And I, and I don't want to speak for them, but I, but I think they have a similar – we're both going into this with our eyes wide open to figure out how can we make this work, and, and I think we both sides want to figure out a way to make this work uh, long-term. As you talk about, I'll call it the, the community ties, the reality is, Ed, you know, last off season before the world shut down, we did 100-plus school appearances. We can't do that now, right? Mm-hmm. The USL uh, Players Association doesn't allow open practices. Uh, it doesn't allow community appearances. So when you talk about, let's really get down to what does that mean, right, that the, that the players don't have that connection. Unfortunately, we can't have that connection in the middle of a pandemic with the, the COVID protocol rules that are in place. So when I, I look at the immediate time frame, I, I, I respectfully, I understand what everyone's saying. I, I respectfully say, I don't think there's going to be any less, I'll call it touch points, because we're not allowed to have so many of those touch points due to COVID. On the fan base side of this, how much have you heard from the fans not liking this? Listen, you, you, hear, you hear all sides of it, right? I, I will tell you, we reached out to all of our season ticket members last week. Definitely way more positive than the negative. And I'll go back to it. I, I take full responsibility for every decision and every result that this team's had, right? And we have not been good enough on the field. And I take responsibility for that. That was the number one goal here, right? You play with the rules as they're given, right? You try to find, I won't call it loopholes, right? But you, you try to maximize your ability to win. And that's exactly what we've done. And, and, and Tyler, we've talked about this. You know, in the offseason, I had a lot of opportunities to, of how we could structure this. Do I bring in a GM? Do I, what type of profile coach? Do I do an affiliation? We essentially are mirroring what, you know, it's to my chagrin, but what our, our old friends in Reno were doing, right? A smaller market with less resources uh, who did a similar type structure with Major League Soccer San Jose Earthquakes. And what did they do? They made the playoffs four straight times. They won the regular season title last year. Uh, and much to my chagrin, we never beat them in seven times. So, again, you, 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 look, you have to look in the mirror, take an honest assessment. We aren't good enough, right? The structure we have isn't working. How are other teams that are winning in this league doing it? And, and I couldn't be more excited that we had a partner in LAFC that saw that same vision and that we were able to come together. And, and I, you know, I used this term the other day. We're adding rocket fuel onto what Lights FC is. The game day experience isn't changing. Our status in this community isn't ch- changing. To go to Ed's point, we ain't going anywhere. We are here for the long term. We've got the world's most popular sport in the world's most entertaining city. We are here for the long term. And I, and I honestly and sincerely believe we've found a way now to put a product on the field that our fans deserve. I uh, want to go take it a step further. And look, the pandemic, as you said, has, has changed the world. And financially, even people with a heck of a lot of money, their situations have changed. Can you update us on uh, the man, the mystery man that is Seth Klarman, and where do you believe that MLS push exists? Or because of the pandemic, like everything else, is it just taking a backseat? And if it happens, it happens, but it's going to be a while. So, so I'll speak to it as an observer, not as an active participant, right? And you, you, you know where I'm going, where they're at, right? Because that's mm-hmm. the way the deal is structured. It's between right. Seth Klarman and his representatives and the mayor and the, the city council. Uh, you know, in the middle of, of COVID, they provided two extensions to that deal. So I, I think that's a pretty mm-hmm. good indicator that it hasn't been set to the side during COVID. Obviously, I would just imagine that COVID has obviously had a quite a bit of, of, of wrinkles into it. But uh, I, I believe that exclusive negotiation period goes through uh, at least April, if it's not extended again. So I, from my perspective and my understanding, those conversations are still active. 
Does Sacramento losing their ownership group uh, make that happen any quicker? I would certainly imagine it's a it's a new. It certainly doesn't hurt. Let's let's put it that way, right? I mean, MLS went from thirty teams to twenty nine teams announced. Uh, I think any league will tell you it's good to have an even number of teams. Um, and, and obviously, Las Vegas came into those conversations much later than Sacramento. So, I, again, I don't want to speak for them, but but it certainly I think is a positive potential sign for them. I have another question for you. Let's say we're at the end of the season. Lights FC need a win to actually make the playoffs for once. LAFC has like 10 injuries. They've got two games in a week. How do you ensure you actually get their players that are 16 through 25 on the roster here in Vegas? And LAFC doesn't just say, oh, no, we don't care about that. We're more worried about our team. Well, I, there's a couple aspects of that. One thing we haven't talked about is our, our new head coach of, of Steve Tarandolo, right? The U.S. men's national team played in two World Cups, was was injured for a third World Cup, uh, has his highest license in, in uh, Europe, uh, has been an assistant coach at the Bundesliga, played 17 years for the same team, coming home. Um, you know, he, he, is, he is incentivized to win and incentivized to make sure that we put the best product on, on the field. Um, so I, I would answer the question, certainly you're always going to have to deal with injuries and of that sort, but LAFC has made it very clear, and uh, I have no doubt that they will always make sure that we are, we are playing to win. What do you mean when you say he's incentivized to win? Uh, I mean, he's a, a young coach who is, uh, he, has, he certainly has higher aspirations than just USL, which I think is fantastic. So certainly he is incentivized to have success at the USL level to make sure that he can go on to the MLS level and above. Okay, so personal incentive, not necessarily Correct. his contract is structured where if he makes the playoffs, he gets a big bonus or something like that. Well, I won't get into his contract structure, right? But obviously there's, there, are, there are bonuses involved as well, of course. Well, there's, there's no chance with that kind of resume that kid's going to be in the seats smoking cigarettes. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty big resume, right? Uh, it, it is, right? And, and that, as I said last, last week, and again, I take responsibility for everything, all the good and, and the, the unfortunately bad that has happened with, with this club. Certainly with this hire, I think you, you can tell we're going for a different profile uh, than, than we had gone in, in years past. So uh, Coach Tarandolo comes very highly recommended by uh, Bob Bradley, who's the former U.S. men's national team coach who coached Steve uh, or Coach Trundolo in, in the World Cup, and uh, sitting down with them and, and speaking with Coach Trundolo, uh, I'm really excited about what, what he's going to bring to the club. Uh, two questions uh, relating to games at Cashman Field. I know there's there's a flexible start date, but when do you expect to actually have home games this year? And where is Lights FC as far as fans in Cashman Field? So on the first part, we actually are getting a draft schedule today. Hope to make it uh, finalized with the league by next week. Obviously, with Cashman serving as the largest uh, vaccination and testing site in the state, uh, it, it makes it difficult, right? And what we've said to the city and, and said to the league, we don't want to do anything that hurts that testing and having them to have to shut down early on a Saturday for a game. So we, we have asked to start on the road. We'll see what happens there. As far as the number of fans, your, your guess is as good as mine. Clearly, things are moving in the right direction, knock on wood. Um, so, so my hope is by late May, early June, we can be back to Cashman Field with fans. Don't, uh, don't mess with my second dose now, Brett. I was 30 minutes in and out <laughs> on the first dose. Exactly. Don't mess with the second dose. <laughs> Come on. 
but Ashland you guys, was great, man. I was in and out in thirty. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. They they I'll tell you what, the National Guard knows what they're doing down there. Oh, they, yeah. are, they are moving them in and out down there. Oh yeah. Oh, Brett Lashbrook. Oh, <laughs> do you like coming right. on here and getting yelled at by me, Brett? Uh, is this yelling at? Is that all you got, Tyler? This is oh, this is literally Steve. one of the greatest things that's happened to Lights FC. I, I am happy to discuss it all day long. I can't wait to invite the fans back. I can't wait to have success on the field to match the success we've had off the field. Uh, listen, Lights FC is 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 continuing to grow, and I, I couldn't be more excited about its future. Uh, Jared, can right. you go find in some previous interviews when when Brett Lashbrook has said that Chalice was one of the greatest things to happen to Lights FC and that when Eric Winaldo was one of the greatest things to happen to Lights FC? Because I think you've made that claim before, Brett. Well, and, well, this is why this is why you shouldn't be upset with LAFC. <laughs> I now have input from people that really know what they're doing on the soccer side. <laughs> Listen, in all in all truth, right here I am. I'm I'm raising my hand saying we we have not succeeded. We have not lived up to our promises. So what did I do? I went out and got them one of one of arguably the most premier uh, soccer clubs, not just in America but in North America, and said, "Help me, help us figure this out." There is no reason why Las Vegas, with eight thousand fans in the stands, should never have made the playoffs. I, I, I say that sincerely, right? I, I say it. It's obviously a little embarrassing to, to admit, but but I, this is the first time we have I've sought this type of outside counsel assistance and, and brought someone in to stand shoulder to shoulder with me to make sure that we get this right. How many jerseys are we getting this year? <laughs> to, to be determined, my friend. To be determined. I can't. I I'm, can't re- re- unveil unveil everything, but I, I guarantee you, we'll have fun jerseys again. Will, well, the, I mean, will you, the scarf change? The, the the scarf will not change. I will always oh. be scarf for you, Ed. Don't you worry. No, I, okay. All right. So I need that. It's cold out, you know. All right. Well, yeah. he is Brett Lashbrook <laughs> from Lights FC. Brett, we appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you, Brett. as always, for answering Thanks, guys. Questions. Always great to be on. Viva there Lights, everyone. Oh, right. there you go. <laughs> so there's Brett Lashbrook. All right, coming up oh, next. Good Lord. I don't know. Do we want to do Zach Greinke stories? Because I feel like I could keep yelling about Lights FC. All do right. people care I, enough I, about me to keep yelling about Lights FC? I mean, they, there's I, not like a shelf life on Zach Greinke uh, stories, is there? Right. They were great. All they right. were great stories, though. They were great. Stories. Well, yeah, we can get to them that, that later They're in the great. week. It's fine. All right, coming up next, I yell more about soccer. Oh no, please. After 15 years in the Saints and 20 years in the NFL, our dad is finally gonna retire. So we can spend more time with us. Yay! You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. I wonder if Drew Brees watched that video and thought, man, I need to go back to football. I don't need to spend time with these kids. And by the way, I like that one kid was only allowed to say our dad and the girl didn't get to say anything. Like they clearly... yeah, the girl didn't get a line. The girl didn't get a line in the play. She appeared to be the youngest one. She did get a jump up and down. Uh, I love that Tyler involve your kids. It's a wonderful no. way to go out. And obviously, he's going to spend more time with his kids because 24 hours later, he was on the Today Show announcing a huge gig <laughs> for himself. <laughs> so we'll get more into Drew Brees in the front page. Uh, but Brett Lashbrook, the owner of Lights FC, joined us last segment. They are uh, in an agreement with LAFC to be the affiliate of LAFC this season, meaning LAFC is going to supply all the players and coaches for Lights FC this season, and it'll basically be treated as a minor league team to LAFC. But 
there, there was one thing Brett Lashbrook said in there that I, I think is actually a reason to be optimistic that LAFC is not going to at any point really screw over Lights FC in this agreement. Because listen, they can. Like LAFC, their their focus is LAFC games. And if if the play if they've got, you know, a congested schedule, if they've got injuries, right? Like they don't have to send good players down to Lights FC. They they just don't have to. So but one of the things that Brett said in there that made me think they they probably are not going to screw over Lights FC is the fact that they hired Steve Chirundolo to be the head coach of Lights FC. And because there is a a legitimate like head coach in place of Lights FC, and because they hired him away, he wasn't, it's not like they took one of their assistants and just gave him the new title. They actually hired him away from somewhere. I don't think they're going to screw over Steve Chirundolo by saying, okay, here you go with a bunch of guys that are in our youth academy that are 16 years old. Go play this USL game. To me, there there is reason to think they actually will take Lights FC games pretty seriously this year, and it's because of Steve Chirundolo. Yeah, and I think, look, I mean, uh, it was good to Brett, uh, for Brett to come on. And, and he, look, I, I like when guys, like, you know, admit, you know, that they need help in such uh, such areas and in terms of the soccer side and you would hope. I mean, obviously, there's a trust factor here that you're not really sure until it happens, right? So, like, you gave the impression, you gave the example, you've got one game to win, and it's for the playoffs, but all these things is ha- are happening in L.A. Do you trust that they'll send you good players? I mean, you have to say yes at this point. You've gone into an agreement with them. You don't really know until it happens. I mean, the season has to get underway to really see who you're getting in terms of talent. But uh, I think it's good for the lights. I, I don't believe it's only one year. I think it will probably work out well enough to where they'll want to continue it. Uh, so this will be a good test this year to see who shows up in Las Vegas, how the fans react. And uh, I just I have a feeling this is not one year. I think this is kind of the next step that Lashbrook wants to take to try to get a competitive team on the field. Well, is so- Cash the soccer rocker still around? <laughs> is that guy still going to be there? Uh, he's in L.A. training <laughs> with L.A. Oh, <laughs> and in Tyler's Nightmares. <laughs> I actually need to look uh, up. I don't. Does LAFC have a mascot? I think LAFC has an actual mascot. Cash is going to run him over. <laughs> he is. They they have a they have a falcon, a, a live falcon, oh, not a yeah. So oh. I don't know that I don't know that you want Cash handling a live falcon. That might no, not be that very. Be good. I actually think Will Ferrell is just the LAFC mascot and part owner. He. I wonder if Lashbrook talked to Will Ferrell at all. Now that's cool. Let, get, Lashbrook needs to get Will Ferrell on our show. That that would be a good get. That <laughs> Are you listening, get. Brett? Give us Come on, Will Lashbrook. Ferrell. Deliver us Will Ferrell. That's all we need from you. That's all we need. <laughs>